0: I think what is more than that though is the general respect level we've seen um, for us when you go to the congresses, when you show up as Team USA, um, in, in any country, you're, uh, you're treated like a top nation. You're treated like a, a nation that has oomph, you know, for what a better terminology, in, in this sport. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Barbend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Phil Andrews is an interesting case in the world of sports governance. A British national by birth, Phil moved to the United States following the 2012 London Olympic Games, and soon thereafter became involved with USA Weightlifting. After several years organizing USAW's national and international events, Phil rose to the rank of CEO, a position he's held since early 2016. Uh, Full disclosure, Barbend is the official media partner of USA Weightlifting, so we often partner as an organization, and I work with Phil directly on a number of projects personally. Under Phil's leadership, USA Weightlifting has grown in a number of ways and hit milestones many thought impossible in such a short time frame. USAW elite athletes have earned an Olympic medal in Rio, ending a 16-year-long drought, several World Championships medals including multiple golds, and a number of world records. In addition, USAW has played host to the 2017 World Championships and 2017 Pan American Championships. Phil's team has grown to include Brazilian-born events organizer Pedro Maloney and Greek weightlifting legend Piros Dimas, among several other talented and accomplished new faces in USAW's organizational ranks. But while USAW and its athletes, coaches, and leaders have accomplished a lot under Phil's watch, the organization's biggest test and biggest barometer for success is the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. What are Phil's expectations for Tokyo? And how can USAW measure success from one Olympic cycle to the next? How is American weightlifting perceived on the international stage these days? Which competing countries take us seriously? And where are we still coming up short? And what are Phil's expectations beyond Tokyo for the 2024 Olympics and even after that? We get into those questions and more in this episode. And just a quick reminder, if you're enjoying the Barband Podcast, make sure to leave a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. This helps us stay on track in bringing you the best content possible week after week. And if there's someone you'd absolutely love to hear on a future Barb podcast episode, let us know in your podcast review. I personally read each and every review. So your suggestions will be seen. Phil Andrews. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to chat.
0: Hey David, how you doing?
1: I I can't complain too much, and as of this recording, I know we're between a pretty busy series of uh, travel and events for you. So uh, it's nice to catch you when you're back stateside for a little bit. What does your travel schedule uh, looked like this year?
0: Uh, It's you know funny. I've actually done less travel this year uh, than I have done in the last couple of years, which has been has been nice and. Partly because other members of my team are, are taking up some of that travel, um, partly because uh, we hosted the Youth Worlds rather than us traveling to it, uh, and partly because I, I didn't actually make it to Patia for the IWF Congress because we had the USOC Congress, or USOPC Congress, I apologize, uh, here in Colorado Springs, which meant I could sleep in my own bed at night. So um, it's a little less than usual, but I'm, I'm about to go into some heavy travel at the end of the year, so... Um, it, it's been nice to be home, that's for sure. It, uh, the uh, a, a good colleague of mine once said, uh, I can't wait till I retire so I can see all the places I've been.
1: <laughs> now Which- this... This will be the Tokyo Olympics uh, occurring next year. We're recording this in September of 2019. The Tokyo Olympics coming up in 2020. That will be your second Olympic Games in your current position. Uh, how has your travel schedule and just your general uh, disposition uh, changed now compared to that previous quad where you were involved uh, in 2016?
0: Well, as most know, I used to be our director of events and programs. So I did a lot of domestic travel uh, before the 2016 Olympic Games. Uh, I was on the road probably 30 to 40 percent of my time, maybe a little more. And all that's done by Pedro Maloney now. Um, So I don't do anywhere close to as much. I go to our events, but I I don't do the conferences. I don't go to the site visit, all the stuff that goes into being an events director. Um, now I do a lot more international travel, so I'm a lot more involved in the behind-the-scenes administration of international weightlifting than I was uh, back then, plus, of course, in representing our federation, uh, USA Weightlifting, not just um, uh, abroad, but also domestic here in the U.S., at um, various different conferences related to governance, related to anti-doping, related to safe sport, related to the USOPC, the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Um, yeah, I'm now involved in in helping some other uh, national governing bodies with some things they do as well. So uh, the travel certainly got more. Uh, I thought I might travel less as our CEO, and I don't know why I thought that. Um, but it, it's it's gained a lot of ground, and a lot of that is being very politically active within the IWF um, and within getting our message, especially that around clean sport, heard uh, around the world, um, and and really being a team player as well as the United States. Um, in in the IWF and showing that we're a nation that is willing to be a contributor to the sport, um, and that looks that comes out a number of different ways from helping federations with what they're doing and, and helping with how they're run and, and what they can learn from us in, in being able to reestablish ourselves with no funding uh, from the government that is, or, or in our case from the USOC, uh, all the way through to you know the the election campaigns for the IWF and the Pan American Federation. All the way through to hosting worlds and youth worlds, and and potentially in the future, more Junior Pan Am Juniors Panams, and and perhaps another World Championships in, in the years to come.
1: Now, before as you mentioned, before becoming the CEO of USA Weightlifting, you were uh, managing events, and you were the events director. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved with USA Weightlifting, because your professional history is interesting. You're uh, a, a Brit by birth and nationality, now an American citizen. Congratulations on on that. But how does a British man with a background in hockey come to become the CEO of USA Weightlifting?
0: So uh, there's, a, there's an interesting history to it. The, I, I ran something called the High Performance Training Center in the London 2012 Games. And what that is, is the basically the main training center for the entire U.S. Olympic team. Uh, We had the media center there. We had the training center there. We had housing. We had food and beverage. Then we had 31 other Olympic or Paralympic uh, clients, one of that terminology, which ranges from different Olympic and Paralympic committees to uh, sponsors of the games uh, to, like, we hosted Asics House, for example. Um, and over the course of that time, uh, I got to meet a number of people from the USOPC or then the USOC. And you were uh, still, came... you were
1: still, you were living in Britain at the
0: time. Yeah. You were, you were yeah. based out of there entirely. You hadn't moved to the US. Yeah. So yeah, the, yes, exactly. Based in London. Uh, and then I met my long story short now wife who then worked for the USOC or the USOPC as it is now. Um, and, uh, after the games and she was there in London for a long time, um, and then uh, after the Games, uh, had some opportunities here in the U.S. and, and um, so we made a decision to move here. And uh, I sat down in the very, very early January uh, of 2013 with um, a colleague of mine uh, from the USOPC and asked who needed help. And at that time, the answer was weightlifting, along with a few others. Um, and I uh, came here, realized that CrossFit especially was really growing the sport and it was an opportunity to make a difference. Um, and then, you know, I really became full-time in, in June uh, with USA Weightlifting and, and haven't looked back since and sort of thrown myself into the sport. Most people, I think, in the Olympic movement now think I'm a weightlifter. Um, they clearly have never seen me snatch, if that's the case. But it's, um, it, it, it's been a journey. Uh, it's been a very, very interesting way to get into this. It, fun fact, there's actually four national governing bodies in the U.S. with uh, British CEOs, um, field hockey, taekwondo, um, obviously weightlifting, and rugby. Um, if rugby and field hockey are from their sports, taekwondo and us. We're, we're, we're outside of the sports. So. It's,
1: it's the secret British invasion
0: all over again. It, it is.
1: Although people keep calling
0: that out, so we're clearly not doing a good job of that. <laughs>
1: It's because it's because you're you're so friendly and amicable. You know so many people. You make friends easily, and then and then people notice you. You have to do. You have to be more inconspicuous next time. That's that's the key. I'll try. I'll
0: try. It, it's uh, we'll, we'll develop Louisiana accents.
1: So, so you join USA Weightlifting in 2013. You become acting CEO, and then and then CEO in a more permanent capacity in early 2016. Is that correct? End of 2015, early 2016.
0: Right at the end of December 2015, I was became acting CEO, and then April 2016, permanent. So you've
1: been CEO effectively since right before the Rio Olympics. You know, here we are, uh, over three years uh, later, gearing up for Tokyo, and it's been a pretty uh, it's been a pretty busy time for USA weightlifting and the the sports prominence in mainstream american societies obviously increase a lot of that due to crossfit as you and i have talked about numerous times at numerous events over the years um, but also our success on the international stage obviously yeah. ending the medal drought at the rio olympics sarah robles winning a, a bronze medal uh on the women in the women's super heavyweight category a huge time we've had world med- several world's medalists since then we're recording this before the 2019 world championship so we might be Adding further to that medal count, as someone who represents USA weightlifting on the international stage, how has perception of the sport changed among uh, our competitors um, from other countries? And and how do those governing bodies see USA weightlifting now versus maybe how they saw it in you know the twenty in the two thousands or even the early twenty tens?
0: Yeah, I think there's, there's probably two halves to that question. There's there's the perception amongst our Olympic movement colleagues in the United States, and there's perception amongst the, the International Weightlifting Federation and perhaps the Pan American Weightlifting Federation. I think since 15 we've really made a huge effort to be active internationally. And that's been recognized um not only in the award of the seventeen World Championships and the twenty nineteen Youth World Championship in the United States, but also in the fact we have more governance positions in the IWF than almost any other national governing body from any other U.S. sport. Um, you know, I sit on the commission, Paula Aranda sits on the commission, Ursula Papandreya and Pyrrhus Dimas are both on the executive board. Um, we have a lot of, of areas in the, uh, Mark Levely is on the medical committee, uh, Kyle Pierce is on the coaching committee, et etc., et, et cetera, We've got a lot of places where the U.S. is, is actively recognized by our, our fellow member federations. I think what is more than that, though, is the general respect level we've seen um, for us when you go to the Congresses, when you show up as Team USA um, in in any country, you're uh, you're treated like a top nation. You're treated like a, a nation that has you know oomph for what a better terminology in in the sport, um, which is an incredible difference to where we were in 2015, even when we hosted Worlds where we were not that well respected as a member federation uh, by either the IWF itself or the member federations. And I think, you know, the, a friend of mine from Indonesia described us as the awakening of the giant and, and over the last few years. And I think that's a, that's a phrase coming to mind. Uh, we're arguably the leading Pan-American country, certainly competitive for that title with Colombia on the field of play. Our influence has hugely grown off of the field of play. In the IWF, we're now seeing our women typically place amongst the top five um, in terms of the team. We're seeing um, uh, medals consistently around our women's necks. And of course, we have some pretty good men right now, especially CJ Har- uh, Harrison. You could have Wes into that mix as well, who are, are really doing very well on the international stage on the field of play. And, and again, we're still seeing that off of the field of play where we're asked for our expertise, we're asked for our input, we're asked um, for our views on, on what we want to do with the sport. And, of course, that's manifested itself in some real terms in terms of uh, the anti-doping action um, and in some of the ways that the sport's changed have come from us um, or we've been significantly influential in. That's not to say other countries haven't as well, but having a voice at least helps. Um, and uh, the it's happened in some intangible ways as well of just, again, the way that we're treated when we show up as Team USA, not just myself and Ursula and, and others who are involved in the IWF, but the way that Team USA itself is viewed and treated. Uh, we're now a major player in the, in the weightlifting world, I feel like. Um, and our team and our athletes are given the respect due for that.
1: Do you think anyone has been and this is uh, uh, going in the other direction, do you think anyone has been displeased or has anyone expressed displeasure or frustration with USA Weightlifting's success in the field of play? Any traditionally competitive nations who you think might not be super happy to see, uh, our women especially, winning medals, but our men also contending?
0: I, I think that's fair. Uh, very few people are going to express that directly. But ultimately, if you're winning a medal and somebody else used to win a medal there's a clear cost um, you know as we've seen the anti-doping action particularly take hold there's some countries seeing less and less medals I think they they don't generally point the finger directly at the US but we are clearly involved in that um, you know we we have a very friendly and good relationship with Colombia uh, where arguably now we've we're at least very threatening, if not you could argue we've surpassed Colombia as the number one nation in Pan Ams. Uh, I think elsewhere in the world there's some interest in in how we've changed um, but there's still some people who give us derogatory comments might be too strong about our model. you know we show up with a personal coach for everybody, but you know what that's our model we're successful with it, and we're beating them with it. so the answer really comes on the field of play where we've pushed out. You know, our concentration into the field in the decentralized training, centralized leadership model that we have, we've really seen success with them. And I think that that's credit to our athletes and our coaches, first and foremost. And one of the things I think has been, has has got a little bit lost is everybody says, well, the doping control has got a lot better and that's why the U.S. is doing better. Yeah, I agree. However, our athletes and our coaches have done the real work, too. Because we're improving at a faster rate than some of their other, you would say, trustworthy, clean nations where they have a strong anti-doping program domestically. Um, So we're moving up at a faster rate. And I think that's where our athletes and our our coaches deserve real credit in in what they've done. And the other thing, by the way, you're seeing is a lot more U.S. officials on the field of play as a tech coach. You're seeing U.S. officials in, in a lot of meets worldwide and even on the speaker's table. And in the press box and everywhere like that, the U.S. is starting to gain um, more influence and more respect from other nations. And don't forget, non-U.S. people have to make those decisions. I think you're right. There are some who say, well, we don't really like the U.S. being more successful because we're being less successful. But they're few and far between. And there are people for sure who are fighting back against the anti-doping reforms. It makes sense. They're suffering as a result. But ultimately, for the sport to survive, those have to continue. And I think the majority of nations appreciate
1: that. What do you think, what work do you think still needs to be done regarding anti-doping measures? Now, this is something where I I don't want to necessarily take uh, a normative stance and and judge what has been done, what is, you know, what hasn't been done necessarily. But from your opinion and from your perspective as a CEO of USA Weightlifting, someone who's certainly very heavily involved in the international, uh, if not the international governance of the sport, very heavily involved and connected with the folks who are governing the sport internationally. What do you think still needs to be done regarding doping controls and anti-doping measures on an international scale?
0: I think a lot of the measures are in place now. Uh, We've outsourced our doping selections to the International Testing Authority, which is owned and set up by the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, who have an interest in keeping the games clean. Uh, we've spent more money than ever on anti-doping. That needs to continue. We have an international member federations uh, sanctioning panel, which sanctioned Egypt um, recently. Um, we They will appeal to CAS. I think by the time this comes out, that appeal will be known, uh, whether it's successful or not. Uh, we don't know that as we talk today. Um, but that shows that the need for it because Egypt are on the executive board. So uh, it's impossible for the executive board to adjudicate that case fairly and reasonably uh, because they have a conflict of interest. So uh, I think more of the same to an extent, keeping those going, keeping those reforms going. But what's really needed is the domestic cultural change for some of these nations of understanding uh, how to train their athletes clean how to do that, how to modify their training programs so they're no longer requiring the level of training that the drugged athlete is is able to do. And that's really what's going to change long term uh, is is you are going to see positives still come up from coaches who are not learning that, um, from nations who aren't learning that. But as we continue to punish those nations who do consistently dope on the international stage, like Thailand and Egypt, we have to point and say, okay, actually, nations are doing a good job in reforming. And right now, I'd say the best example is actually Russia, uh, which is probably a surprise to hear people, for people to hear me say that. But you have to say that, based on what I've seen, based on the actions they've taken, and based on the testing results so far, I believe Maxime has done has done a decent job of reforming the Russian Weightlifting Federation. That isn't to say they don't have problems. That isn't to say they won't have positives. That isn't to say there isn't personal coaches in Russia who might be still doping their athletes. That may well be the case. But I think he's done a good job in changing his country's perspective rather than some countries who, who have not got there yet. And, and obviously, the, perhaps the best example right now is Thailand.
1: Now, you say that a lot of anti-doping measures begin domestically, or at least the effectiveness of those programs and of those measures begins domestically the united states is a country that uh is not without its own history across sports not just weightlifting of doping violations and and athletes who have been caught on tops on the top stages in multiple sports um where do you think the united states is potentially still weak when it comes to domestic doping controls and how can we improve Particularly in the uh, sport think, of weightlifting, I mentioned some other sports there uh, just yeah, to, to blow it up, but uh, that's more just because a lot of those prominent cases have occurred in other Olympic sports because weightlifting largely hasn't been you know the most popular sport in America for a long time. Uh,
0: I think again, you know, the, the, the U.S. domestic sport. Obviously, I, I think mostly of the Olympic sports. Um, I know you're you're looking a little bit wider than that. Um, I, I do believe. In the Olympic sport world, we do have an exceptional program at the elite level, Um, I think across our Olympic sports, Olympic and Paralympic sports. Uh, And obviously, those those sports with high risks, like cycling, like weightlifting, like triathlon, like track and field, like swimming, get significantly more tests than others. And of course, weightlifting does develop quite a lot of positives, which generally come out of what I might term B group or below lifters. So, I think one area that um, when we put in the lift clean program, cycling put in a race clean program to, to affect that, is, is a little bit more effort. And, and the issue becomes money on the local level um, and regional level uh, of sports across the United States. I have to say USA Power have has done a good job of that. But part of the reason they're able to do that is they do a lot of their testing outside of um, the… You solder uh, network, so they they have a reduced cost because they're not using the accredited laboratories that we are, and, and that's a good thing. They test seven percent of all of their uh, competitions. I think it is seven percent of every competitor, every competition, um, and they're able to therefore identify those people domestically and keep their competition uh, a little bit cleaner. Um, their protocol on the international stage has to be a little bit more robust and a little um, with the uh, the national anti-doping agencies of the country. Um, but at the same time, you've got to argue USAPL actually doing a really good job of keeping their competition platform clean. Uh, aside from that, you'd, if you think about the NFL, the NCAA, the MLB, etc., I think the MLB probably is arguably the leading um League of those. I'm definitely more more focused and curious as to your thoughts when it comes to
1: the Olympic sports. By the way, yeah. I should have I should have clarified that here.
0: Okay, Olympic sports. Yeah, so I, again, I, I think that if you think about anti-doping, it really has three main um, three main tenants. One is education, one is testing, and one is sanctioning. I think overall in the US we do a pretty good job of um, of of all three of those tenants. But I do think that one area that we could really improve in the United States is by taking that down a level into the local meets, in our case, or the local uh, races in, in cycling or track or um, track or um, in, in triathlon. Overall, we do a pretty good job, and certainly us in cycling in particular have, have put money behind uh, or resources behind getting that further down into the local meets. But if you look at our positives, that's where a lot of them come from. It's, it's people. It's generally not people in the RTP of the random testing pool. So that means it's generally outside of your very top athletes who are routinely getting tested.
1: I want to focus a little bit on some of the other measures that USA Weightlifting has undergone, and a lot of this comes from your leadership in changing everything from training to how the governing body is interacting with athletes and ultimately these things that impact performance on the international stage. And the first thing that comes to mind when I think about this, when I think about the changing faces of USA weightlifting is the increasingly international nature of the USA weightlifting team as compared to pre-Rio Olympics. Obviously, You coming on, taking the position of CEO, that's an international face and a voice. Pedro Maloney joining as events director after you vacated that position to move to the CEO spot. And then Piro Simas coming on as well, obviously a name that every weightlifting fan under the sun has heard of. Someone who 10 years ago when I was first developing an interest in the sport, I would have never thought would be involved in USA weightlifting at a governance level, at this high level level. what has been the main factor in taking USA weightlifting or making USA weightlifting more international? Has that been intentional or really has it been a product of just finding the best people no matter where they come from?
0: Yeah, I think it's the latter. Um, the best people, no matter where they come from. Uh, the, we have obviously a vast majority of Americans on our staff. Um, you know, I'm obviously an American citizen now, but I understand what you're saying. Uh, Yes, we have two staff who are not from the United States. Um, I think Pedro is likely the best in the world at what he does. Um, He's certainly asked uh, or called upon. We offer him up to nations. He had a hand in the Turkmenistan Ashgabat World Championships last year. Um, He had a hand in the Fiji Junior World Championships. So he's called upon uh, domestically and internationally for expertise um, in what he does. He's, He's really done a very good job with the events side. Uh, when i left the event side I, i'd set up our events model so i kind of treated it as my baby um, and i really wanted somebody who'd come in and, and frankly kick my butt at what i did and pedro fits that bill uh, he's also got a great temperament i find um with with running events you have to be able to you know, take the rough with the smooth they're not it's not an easy job there's lots of logistics and weightlifting especially because of the equipment because of the, the nature of the beast Um, requires a great deal of of attention to detail. I think Pedro does provide that, and that's why we went after him. There's other people who can do that job, sure. But Pedro had a proven track record um, of running weightlifting events and and, uh, also had influence in the international sphere as well. It helps that when we're bidding on a world championship, um, whether that be youth or senior, when Pedro Maloney is heading up your group for the organization of it, that commands respect, and, and and you know it's another way in which we've gained ground on other countries and in the level of respect in the international forum. That's a secondary thing, but it definitely helps. Um, with Piros, we don't have Piros because he's Piros Demas. Um I mean, it, it's I, I really don't think that needs that much more explanation than he's Pyrostemas. This is a dude who is instead of providing a, a identification card as a driving license or a passport, has simply. On his own Wikipedia page,
1: I I was yeah not to not to question his not to question his tried and true weightlifting credentials. I I think my my focus is more on you know. Do you think there's a specific benefit? And you answered this a bit in talking about uh, Pedro's qualifications and his expertise. Is there a specific benefit to bringing people with that direct experience? from other international governing bodies or from other nations'
0: governing bodies, seeing what works and think, doesn't work. Yeah, I think I think Pedro having the experience in the Olympic Games really, really does help. Um, that was secondary to his ability to run events. Um, the With Pyrrhus, you know, we were, I think it would be fair to say, a little bit fractured in the last quad as a, as a federation. And the one thing that Pyrrhus brings is the level of respect with being Pyrrhus Dimas. So... It doesn't matter whether you you agree with him or not, you at least hear him out and you might have that debate with him. Um Pyrrhus is a great person. He's turned he's he's turned out to be a phenomenal warm-up room coach. Fantastic. Um, and I think he, he really does do well at relationships with our lifters, with our coaches. The other thing is, you know, again, Pyrrhus does have influence overseas. A lot of people in the even in the media world know who Pyrrhus DMS is because of Athens and, and what happened there and the ten minutes applause for uh, Uh, a bronze medalist, which is almost unheard of. Um, So Pyrrhus certainly brings a huge range of benefits to our federation that just otherwise aren't there. Um, I think it also is another way of our federation putting our stool out and saying, this is who we are. We're determined to be the best in the world. And Pyrrhus Dimas was willing to put his trust in us uh, to establish ourselves as the best in the world. Because you know what? He's got something to prove. Pyrrhus Dimas is known as a great lifter. He's not yet known as a great coach or a great technical director, which is his official title here. And he doesn't coach lifters in the gym every day. His job is to, to be more centralized than that. Um, and that's our model. It's very unique in the world. No one else does it. Um, and he's fitted really well. He's understood that and the cultural differences between centralized program and what we do. That took a while, but we're really over that line. But he has brought a number of of skills, both obvious and not so obvious to us. Um, Yes, it helps that he was already on the executive board, and he got re-elected after he joined us. This is the executive Uh, board
1: for the International Weightlifting Federation, just to Correct,
0: representing Greece. And he's also on the IWF's um, Athlete Commission, uh, and he is involved with the IFC's Athlete Commission. So there's certainly some really impressive things that that Pyrrhus brings. Uh, Less known, he used to be the Minister of Youth and Sport for Greece, which obviously brings some interesting programming experience to this. Um, and, of course, Greek-Americans know who Pyrrhus is, which is helpful to us. And that's an area perhaps we haven't done as good a job as we should have done in getting the word out there as Greek-Americans yet and something we need to work on. Um, but I think Pyrrhus brings a lot of, of benefits by the fact he's Pyrrhus Demas. And and one of the things that you might notice about a lot of people that we've hired is, is in and I think this speaks to our staff culture is we've got something to prove we want to go out there and prove it can be done that you can in the United States in the. USOPC system move an NGB's needle from 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 here to here um, and and I think that's what we're doing and and the is part of that he wants to prove that he he is more he, he's not a I hate to say this a Wayne Gretzky. You know, Gretzky was this phenomenal uh, skater, unbelievable, but he was never good when he got behind the bench in hockey uh, and I think Pyrrhus wants to prove that he can contribute um, outside of the field of play and I, and I think he is doing that
1: This is maybe getting a little bit ahead and and I don't want to I don't want to harp too much more on goals for the Tokyo Olympics because I know it's something that you've talked about very publicly. The the motto it can be done. Obviously, the goal there is to come home with as much hardware for USA weightlifting as is humanly possible. We know that is a a the focus heading into 2020. Beyond this quad, what goals do you personally have for USA weightlifting?
0: I think as we go into the next quad, we need to. It is no secret that the that CrossFit has become a huge, huge uh, fitness. Um, activity here in the United States, but it's also fairly well known. It's it's not growing as much as it was in the U.S. So we have to put some effort into marketing over the next four years. I think we've really been in a win now mentality, at least for the last year, and we will do into the games. It means that we need to focus a a lot more energy than we have been doing in the last few months into our youth junior development and also our recruitment activities into the sport. Um, I think the sport itself needs to stabilise. We may or may not see more reduction in traditional sports in the Olympic Games, like wrestling, weightlifting, fencing, rowing, as more and more sports come into the games. So I don't think that would be a surprise to see that happen for weightlifting, um, which means we we will have more concentrated opportunities in the Olympic Games. That's it. So we we need to obviously maintain. If let's say we're let's assume that. We need to maintain that position and I think we've got the athletes in the pipeline already to do that. Many of the team we look pretty likely to send to the games are are very young. Um, They're still juniors and they may, in in a couple of cases, the obvious ones being CJ and Harrison, they'll still be juniors next year. We've got a lot of athletes aged down to 25 who are either likely to go to the Olympics or are already on the world team or just off of it, which is very good for the next squad. But we've got to make sure We don't concentrate on 24 at the cost of 28 or 32. Um, I think on the domestic level, we need to continue to find ways to innovate and get our word out there. Um, We've been very lucky to have the sport of CrossFit come in and help us with some of that. Um, But we need to make sure that we're supporting clubs in the field. We're supporting coaches to make a living. We're supporting athletes. We continue to support athletes. We've got a huge athlete stipend budget right now that needs to continue to support them in being a full-time weightlifter. At the same time, we need to make sure that we're putting new weightlifters into those gyms. Um, you know, it, it's just about, we have to remember that the 65-year-old grandmother that walks into your gym and is able to complete a snatch, maybe goes to a master's meet or two, they're just as much a member of USA Weightlifting as CJ Cummings or k So, I think that's a really important thing to remember as we go into the next quad and we try to continue a growth of our sport in a market which is starting to saturate. Um, So, those are some challenges. And then we have financial challenges too of, okay, well, we've made our money from coaching education. And maybe we're going to get some money from the Olympic Committee now because of our uh, success in Tokyo. How sustainable is that revenue source? I believe it is reasonably sustainable, but we've got to do more work. To we, we've got to re, we've got to do more work to retain the same dollar amount than we were in this quad. So I think those are the challenges: marketing our sport, continue to grow our sport, refueling the pipeline, and then on the field of play, main, essentially maintaining where we are. If we're if we're getting towards the top, we need to maintain that.
1: Phil, it has been an absolute pleasure getting to chat with you. I've really enjoyed getting to know you over the last few years. Obviously, in Barbend, thank you, man. And- anyway barbends work with USA weightlifting and vice versa. Um, we know where, and this will be in the show notes where folks can follow along with team USA and USA weightlifting. Where can folks follow along with what you're doing, your travels, your preparation for Tokyo, uh,
0: on social media? Um, I, Instagram is usually the best way. Um, I do pretty regular open Q and A's on there. to so keep in touch with people. Uh, that's a dot um, on Instagram. And then uh, I've I've just joined Twitter, believe it or not, in the last month. Um, And I'm at Phil Andrews USA on that.
1: Well, I know who I'm going to follow right after we're done with this recording. I didn't even realize you were on Twitter yet. So that's perfect. Awesome. Well, Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Look forward to chatting again soon.
0: Likewise. Thank you very much.